going to eventually get to John 8, so if you want to start turning to John 8, you can. Um, we're in our season of the Gospels in our Christian year. We're working through the I am statements of Jesus. How many remember what Jesus said, I am, last week in John 6? I am the... Here's a hint. Oh, I am the bread of life, right? That's what he said last week. And, and this is the second week of January. Typically, what we do... You may not know this, but I, I figure if I keep saying it long enough, eventually we will know it. The third week of September and the second week of January, we call these family meeting Sundays. And what we do is, is usually we kind of step away from the text we're going through in the lectionary and we look specifically at why we, as the family of Grace Baptist Church, why we do things the way we do them. Now, the beautiful thing is uh, this week we don't really have to step away from our text or our series, and I'll explain that. But in, in your bulletins, there's this little sheet. You see it on, the, on the, the bulletin board out there. But this, I would really encourage you to take a look at this. This is, in my perspective, kind of the DNA of what we do as a body, as an organization. This is why, as the elders make decisions and lead, we really work off of this sheet. It has our mission, helping people take one step closer to Jesus. We believe that's what we try to do on a daily basis. And, and these four commitments are on there of how we think that happens, the commitment to worship and learning and relationships and mission. And then it says, if we do that, we think lives will be renewed our lives will be changed. Our community will be transformed all by the power of the gospel. And then at the bottom, we have what are our values. As we make decisions as elders specifically about direction, as we talk as a membership, these are the things we say, is it helping us live out our values? So on these family meeting Sundays in the fall, we always look at one of those four commitments. Last September, I, I talked about worship and the steps we go through when we come together to worship. Last January, in the January when we focus on values, that's when Jake talked about living as family. And today, if you look at the, the, the first value we have is focused on Jesus. So I, wanna, I want us to look at that. That's, I, I loved how that fit in because now I don't have to deviate from John and the I Am series to be focused on Jesus because that's what our whole series is about. And it's an, it's an admirable value that we would be, as a church, focused on Jesus. It's one that no one who has any understanding of Christianity would ever question, should that be a value for us? It should be. The problem is we have to be clear on Jesus and who he is in order to be focused on him. And, and, and before we even get to our text, I want to start really, well, it's not going to be really quickly because this is kind of where I'm really focusing on the value. But if we're to be focused on Jesus and that everything we do is to be permeated, the question is, which Jesus are we focused on? Which Jesus are we focused on? Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. The, the issue is, when you look into the world today and people's understanding of Jesus, there seem to be several different Jesuses out there. I don't know if you've seen the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts that some of the celebrities will wear or um, Jesus on the cover of Time around Easter. And I always, and I'm, a, I'm dual citizen, American and Canadian. I, I'm not going to let you know which one I like the best, um, but you probably know. Anyway, <laughs> but I always joke and say in the United States, there's a Republican Jesus and there's a Democratic Jesus, right? There are all these different Jesuses. 
And, and which one is it that we're supposed to be focused on? We're going to get to it in our text, but I, what I've seen really, in the world today, there's, there's kind of, I'll give you three categories. There's, there's two that really are held in tension, and so we tend to move to the third one. The first one is what I would call the vengeful and controlling Jesus. This is a Jesus that is an enforcer. He gets things done, right? He's not one to be trifled with. He looks a lot like this. Yeah, right? I, and, and there are things I really like about this Jesus. He's powerful, right? If I'm in trouble, I want this Jesus to show up. This is the guy. He's someone who's going to win in the end. He's going to deal with things. And, and he is strong. He is powerful. I, I usually say in the U.S., this is the Republican Jesus right here. He's strong. He's going to get things done. And, and it's biblical. And you read the Old Testament. You read Revelation. God is powerful. And he acts in strong and mighty ways to deal with evil. The image is biblical. Maybe a better biblical image of this Jesus would be this one. This is Jesus taken from Revelation 19, 11 to 16. Just listen to what it says. I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. And with justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the type of Jesus that you do not mess with. You better straighten out with this Jesus or you will feel it. And, and it's a biblical image. And I'll be honest, when I was a kid, this was the Jesus I was afraid of when I told a lie. Right? This was the Jesus I was afraid of when I had thoughts that I shouldn't have had. And, and for some, this is the Jesus that's going to teach people a lesson. And, and it's there. This image, this side of Jesus is there in the scripture. I'm not denying that there's this powerful um, dealing with evil picture of Jesus in the scripture. But you also read Revelation 5 in the same book as this image. And it says, you know, uh, they're, they're wondering who's worthy to come and open the scroll. And, and I'm we- John's weeping because no one can be found. And they say, don't weep because the, the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And John turns and he sees a lamb looking like it had been slain. Right? There's this other image of Jesus Right there in Revelation. And you see Jesus on the cross, right? And he's not breaking it and coming down and dealing with things. He's saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Right? And so you've got this Jesus. And then you've also got this gentle and forgiving Jesus, which we see often on through the Gospels, the meek and mild, the one who will not snuff out a, a flickering candle. He won't break a, a, a bent reed. He's, he's gentle. Right? For many... This picture of Jesus looks a little bit like this, right? Warm and fuzzy. Do not forbid the little children to come to me. He says to the woman taking adultery, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. This would be, on a U.S. standpoint, more the democratic Jesus, focusing on God so loved the whole world. 
Not just those in church on Sunday. Not just those who were doing things. God loved the world. But, and while this is there too, it misses that first side of Jesus, right? He seems like someone who's really no danger at all. There's nothing to be afraid of. And the tension between this Jesus and the first Jesus is hard to live. You ever feel that tension? Right? We want Jesus to be one or the other, and somehow he's both. And so what we develop, and I'm just saying I develop it, maybe you do. And by saying maybe you do, I'm saying yes, you do. We all do. We develop the third version, which is called the looks like me, Jesus. Jesus is tough on what we are tough on, and he's very gracious on the areas where we mess up. If we're a gluttonous or prideful heterosexual, Our Jesus is really angry at homosexuals, but patient with our gluttony and our pride. This is the looks like me Jesus. He's very gentle on the areas I struggle with, and he's very strong on the things I don't struggle with. There's a great quote by Anne Lamont, the writer, and she says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. You get that, right? We're in good company when we recreate Jesus in our image because people do it all the time. In fact, one of the, one of the jokes that theologians have is God created humanity in his own image and we've been returning the favor ever since by creating him in our image. Last week we looked at that text where Peter gets frustrated because Jesus is saying, I'm going to die in Mark 8, 33. And Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely Human concerns. Peter's trying to make Jesus into who Peter wants Jesus to be. He wants Jesus to be the look like him, Jesus. See, the problem with this third Jesus is that it's so subtle we don't even realize that we're doing it. We don't even realize that we are making Jesus look like us. And that's why it's important that week after week and day after day we come back to the scripture to see Jesus in the text. What does he actually look like? And finally, we get to the text for today, John 8, 31 to 59. And I, I mentioned last week that lifeofjesus.net. Is that right, Rick? Is that the right address? Lifeofjesus.net, where it's the, the entire dra- dramatization of the gospel of John with the text actually being the only thing. And I want to use that today to read you the text because we often read it and we don't get the actual dynamics of what's going on. What's happening here, Jesus is walking through the temple in this text, John 8, 31 to 59, you can follow along in your scriptures. It may be a different uh, uh, translation, but it's, it's the same text. And we'll just show the video for that text. It's about four minutes long. But Jesus hid himself and left the temple. It's like a church service here, doesn't it? I wanted you to see that because you really have to get the picture that Jesus' words so upset the religious people of the day that they wanted to kill him. Has anyone ever said something to you that made you so mad that you actually wanted to kill them? Now, I know you would say, I'm going to kill you. I Has anybody ever made you so mad that you picked up a rock? Like... That 
is, is what our text said today. If we're going to be focused on Jesus, we have to see him for who he really is as he is, when we say it as, as elders, when we, when we chose this as our value, we wanted to incorporate Scripture. We're, we're focused on Scripture, too. And the reality is we believe Jesus is the living word that we see in the written word. So that's why the, our value is to see Jesus as he is in the Scripture. And what we see in the text today is a good window into the way he challenges our assumptions about who God is. There's some things that I see in this text about the biblical Jesus that I want to highlight as, as we're trying to look at who we're focused on here at Grace. First is we need to see he's presenting himself to these people, to the world, as a doorway to both family and to freedom. He says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you look at their response, right? They say, we are Abraham's descendants. And then get this, did you pick this up? And we have never been slaves to anyone. How many of you know a little Jewish history? We have never been slaves to anyone, like never slaves for 400 years in Egypt. We've never lived in Babylon, and Rome's not in charge right now. It's funny, their perception, right? Remember how last week said the hardest, we said the hardest part of keeping, keep helping people learn something is helping them first realize that they're wrong. We've never been slaves to anyone. Huh. He drives this idea, and he shows them. He says, you know what, guys? The slavery that you're thinking of is not the slavery I'm thinking of. I'm talking about slavery to sin. If you look at verse 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And then he says, when you're a slave, you can never be a permanent part of the family. That's the problem. You're a slave here. And he says, but a child, a son, that is a person that becomes a part of the family. And I know you're Abraham's descendants genealogically, he says. I know that. But your reaction shows me that you don't really realize what family it is that you belong to by your actions. Your father, he says, has enslaved you and you're not free. And I've come to open the door to a new father, a new freedom, a real freedom, but they, they can't see it. You see, he's, he's right there in front of them, but they cannot understand. But Jesus doesn't back off, not, at least not yet, because he's not only come to open the door to the family of God and the freedom that comes from it, he's come to be a clarifier of our shadow side. See, they are linked on genealogy. We are Abraham's descendants. We're Jewish. But he's looking at the state of their heart, and what he's trying to help them see is the dark side of who they actually are, not their genealogy.com line from Abraham. He's trying to show them who they are in their hearts. He's trying to clarify this, this shadow side. You know, we always try to hide this. We don't like to acknowledge that we all have a dark side. When others fall, we think they did it on purpose. When they make mistakes, it's because it's they're mean. When we make mistakes, it's we just messed up. We judge others according to their actions, but we judge ourselves according to our motives. Well, I know I failed, but my heart was in the right place. Right? We, don't, we like to hide that dark side. And he begins to question in verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the things that Abraham did. There'd be a family resemblance. And you want to kill me, he says. Abraham never would have wanted to kill me. And then he pushes it, Father, he says, you are doing what your own father does. 
He's questioning. He's saying, Abraham would never do this. What you are doing is what your father... There is a family resemblance, guys, but it's a different father than you think. And they say, we're not illegitimate children. And that's where in the movie, the priest guy comes up, right? He holds his robes there. And we are, we are, we are only... We are God's children. He is our father. But Jesus pushes further and he clarifies the shadow side. He says, you've made God out to look. If that's true, then God looks like you. You're missing the boat here, guys. And don't don't miss what you saw there. This is not him wandering through the streets with the prostitutes and the lepers and the tax collectors. He's in the temple. This is, this is us. This is the religious people. These are the people who know the Bible, who know God. And he's challenging what they think he is, who they think he is, and how they think he, he would come. And when he does that to us, it exposes a dark side. We start to see ourselves in a way that we may not like what we see. And we'll talk more about this in a minute. But the third thing I see in the text is he's, He's able to do this because he is both beyond us and before us. Look at the interactions. In verse 46, he says, can you prove me guilty? Have I done anything wrong? If not, why won't you accept what I say? In verse 47, those who belong to God hear what God says. And then they say, isn't it true that you're a Samaritan? Genealogy, you're not one of us. And that you're demon-possessed, spiritual. There's something spiritual going on here. And in spite of this, he says, no, he keeps drawing himself, this connection between himself and the Father. In verse 51, he says, those who keep his word will never see death. And they say, but Abraham died? The prophets died? Do you think you're greater than Abraham, you crazy fool? Who do you think you are? That's a, I love that question because he's going to tell them who he is, but they're not going to get it. He's greater than Abraham. He says, I know God, and I know Abraham, and Abraham rejoiced to see my coming. And they're like, Abraham, you're, you're not even 50 years old. Abraham died a long time ago. How did he rejoice to see your coming? See, he's beyond them in that they really can't understand what he's talking about. But he's also before them because he says, before Abraham was born, I am. He's before them. Jake and I were wrestling over, how do you demonstrate before Abraham was born, I am. Here you go. What time is it? All right? He's beyond them, and he's before them. he's, He's bigger outside of the whole frame of reference of what they are. Remember John said in that initial passage, in the beginning was the Word. And Jesus is just reiterating that here. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, does that sound familiar? Does that give you any echoes of an Old Testament text? Do you remember Moses sitting at the the burning bush? And he finally gets convinced to go and he says, but who who am I going to say sent me? And God says, I am that I am. That's why they got mad. He's, He's using this reference to God. They know exactly what he's saying. He's beyond them. He's before them. He challenges them in difficult ways, and they pick up stones to kill him. He does the same thing to us, right? If we let him. The question for us today is if we will listen 
to what he's saying. If we'll take the time to hear and if we will start making room for his word. In verse 37, he says, You are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. Are we going to make room for his word? In verse 43, Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And again in verse 51, I tell you the truth, if anyone keeps my word, he will not see death. But they don't have any room for this word. Their categories are set. They know how God's going to act. They know exactly what he's going to do. And it doesn't look a thing like Jesus from their perspective. You know, we want to have room for his word as it is, not as we want it to be. I, think, I don't think you come here just out of ritual or habit. I think you actually want to grow. You got up this morning and it was snowing. You said, I'm going anyway because I want, to, I want to meet God. I want to interact with the scripture. I want to be challenged. I want to see these people and walk with them. We want to have room. And, and the challenge is we bring so much baggage to it. We want to be focused on him as not the looks like me, Jesus. I think we all, we're all guilty of that. Anybody feel like you're kind of guilty of the looks like me, Jesus? Raise your hands. Confession time. Go right ahead. Me. I, he looks a lot like me. He loves basketball. Jesus loves basketball. You Canadians think he watches hockey? I know. He watches basketball, right? I also know he typically pulls for the team that I'm playing against because they typically win. But... Um, but we want to be focused on Jesus as he is, not the looks like me, Jesus. So, so it's important that we come to his word and make room for it. And it's important because his, unword, un, his word unsettles us to expose us. In the text, the people are so angry with what he says that they attempt to kill him by stoning. That's not a good way to go. That's a, a very painful way to die. You could say his words unsettled them a bit. The things he was saying actually made them mad. How many of you would... When we get that angry, isn't it interesting that when they were that angry, God was actually teaching them something? We think when we're that angry about something that there's no spiritual benefit in it whatsoever. It may be that God has made you that angry for a reason. To unsettle you, to expose who you really are. Hebrews 4. I think I use this, you guys should have this memorized. I use it in like every other sermon. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. See, the problem is we often don't hear what he's saying enough to even let it unsettle us because we've decided what he's going to be like. We don't make space for his word. We've written off what Jesus actually says and we've become comfortable with it. Now I'm going to take you on a, a short little, yeah, very short little tour of my mental processes throughout the past week. It's a messy place inside this head. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you my story. I'm not, gonna, I'm not making political statements. Please don't Facebook how bad I am and all this stuff. But I'm just going to tell you. There's been a lot going on this week. Have you noticed in the news there's a lot going on in international relations, right? There was the killing of Soleimani and the response for that. The bombing, the retaliation, the drones and the missile strikes. 
And, and as I'm watching this happen, I'm saying, focused on Jesus. And so, if I'm focused on Jesus, I have to begin to hear, make room for his word in the middle of CNN and Fox News. And Jesus says this, you've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. But now, Jeff, you can't expect America not to go after people that are, called, that are killing them. I don't expect America. I have very low expectations for America. I used to have very high expectations. I have very low expectations for America. And I, I'm not going to be, God's not going to say, why did you let America do that? He, he's calling me to follow. But, so I have to approach the situation and say, what does it mean that Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them? You see, when I sit with that long enough, I, there's two rabbit trails that open up in my brain. I tell you, I'm in my brain. I'm not forcing yours, but this is where mine goes. First of all, I see the wisdom of what Jesus says. I see how the killing of one evil man actually just fans the flames of evil in a whole region. I mean, I hear people say, we're safer today because, are we? Is anybody safe? Like, I see wisdom in what Jesus said. I see how this need for retaliation, even in a measured sense, I I see when, when the retaliation happens, and yet this huge, it opens the doorway for an incredible tragedy by mistake, where 176 people die. I wonder what would happen if we actually made room for Jesus' word and did what he said. What, what would happen? At the very least, it has to shape how I feel about what's going on, how I understand it, which leads me to rabbit trail number two. Number one is I see the wisdom of his teaching, even though I don't see how we could practically live it out. Number two, rabbit trail is what if they didn't? What if, what if we just let our enemies do whatever they wanted to? What if we did? What if they don't kill him? What if Iran successfully attacked the U.S.? And, and what's happening here in my own life is I begin to realize my hidden assumptions in my agenda. I begin to realize if I sit long enough with the words of Jesus that I like the sound of them in the abstract, but not when it really matters. I like the idea that Jesus says, love your enemies, but what if it's going to hurt me or people I love? I realized as I thought through that I really trust Jesus as a philosopher. (laughs) I love it. I love his ideas. But I don't really want him to be my life coach. Where he's saying, Jeff, love your enemies. I want to put his sayings on the wall. I want my friends to cross-stitch them and print them up. But I don't want to actually live them out. Because if I'm going to make room for his word in the last week, and his word is love You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, the call to love my enemy exposes who I really am. I'm a person who wants safety and security for me, for everybody else. I'm a person who says, I trust Jesus, but I hold back from obedience if that might mean making my life painful or difficult. You see how my my own categories, he's exposing my shadow side. The words of Jesus forced me to ask hard questions. You know why? Because he's beyond me. He's before me. He's bigger. 
He's, he wants to open the doorway to a freedom that I can't even comprehend. He wants to bring me fully into a family where I am set free and at peace and I have nothing to fear. He wants to expose the darkness of who I am. I want to talk about what Jesus should do with the American government. And he says, Jeff, just leave the American government. You don't even understand that. Let me make room for your word in my heart. How's it going to change how you live? See that first idea? His word unsettles us to expose us. (laughs) Exposure is difficult and painful. And often in that moment, we aren't sure what to do. I'm not sure how to live out love my enemies in this world. I'm not sure how to do that. makes me feel vulnerable. I don't know how to respond, but that's okay because it's part of the process because we are exposed to be set free. That's what you've got to realize. Jesus' interactions with the Jews in our text upset them because he exposed that they're depending on their ethnic Judaism for their faith. He showed them that what they were doing was not in line with Abraham, but it was more in line with the father of lies. And his words call into question the very things that they think they already know, that they're Jews, that God works this way. They don't, he doesn't fit the mold of their expectations. And it upsets them, and it exposes them, and it's purposeful because the exposure leads to us being set free. And the, the first spiritual retreat, I, I do four of these a year. These are really vital. I, I, I know some of you are like, yeah, hey, yeah, whatever. The second one's coming. Today's the last day to sign up for the second one. You can talk to Christine or myself. But in the first one, we talk about our identity. And I, there's this truth in the spiritual life. There's a little diagram I show in the first one. It's a repeated pattern in the spiritual life. There, there comes a situation where we're forced to let go of something that we've held on to our safety, our security, our understanding of the way God works in our life, whatever it may be. But that letting go makes space for him actually to give us who he actually is. See, that's what's happening here. They have a concept of what the Messiah is going to look like, and they can't let it go. And because they can't let it go, they can't see him even though he's standing right in front of them. If they could let go their preconceived notions of what Jesus might do, that would make space for him to actually be who he is with them. My friend Matt, who, who died years ago, I, I, was, I just added this in this morning. He was, he was sitting at the, the coastline um, once, and he, he noticed how the waves were hitting the rocks. and how, You know how it shapes them, right? It smooths them out, and it creates these, these little holes where the waves constantly beat. And he said, that's like God. And he wrote this, this song. He says, what the wind cannot lift, it will wear away. What the waves can't break, they will shape a new way. All that I am and all I will be is buried in who you will be to me. And rather than lose me to my worthless loves, you gain me grain by grain. And he says, what God does with us is he will beat on us like a wave to shape us over time. But we have to let go. We have to make space to receive what he's going to give us. In Ephesians 4, it it talks about that, however, Paul says, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. The, The Greek word there is actually take off like a garment. Put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Jesus' words unsettle us 
to expose us so we will let go of what we're holding on to and make space and we can receive the freedom that he wants to offer. Verse 32 of our text, you will know the truth, the truth will set you free. You see, the final part of it is we are set free to be reconciled. Remember we said Jesus was this doorway to a new family. What's remarkable to me is that Jesus is beyond. They don't really understand him. He, he blows all their assumptions and their ideas away. And Jesus is before them. Before Abraham was born, I am. In the beginning was the word. He's beyond and before them, and yet he still invites us into the family of God. See, our sin and our brokenness has, has knocked us out of that. It's broken our relationship with God. And yet what he's doing is making way for us to come in. Do you, do you get that? This is God who's beyond, who's before, who's bigger, who is powerful, Jesus, who is gentle and loving, Jesus. And, and what he does is he comes to us and shakes us to make us let go of our preconceived notions and receive him as he actually is, challenging our assumptions, making space for his word within us, I'm going to read you a text with Colossians. We're from Colossians. We're almost done. But I want you to think about Jesus, who we've said, beyond us, before us. I should do this before us and beyond us, shouldn't I? It's not, my hands are going the wrong way of my mouth. Jesus before us and beyond us, yet coming to reconcile. Listen to this from Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's a big Jesus. He's the head of his body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Now listen to that. This is God, big God. And it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God. You were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, I I really want you to get this. This is that kind of application part of the text, and I, it, it's weird to apply the bigness of God. How do you apply that? How do we apply being focused on... I can tell you, go be focused on Jesus. It doesn't really work for me just to tell you that. I was thinking Dustin and Jenna didn't make it probably because of the snow, and they've got this new baby thing. But I thought the one thing they didn't have to tell them at the hospital when they took baby Rowan home was, you really need to be focused on that baby. Didn't have to tell them that. Why? I, I guarantee you, because we, like we do with newborns, they're focused on the baby because they love the baby. You don't have to tell them. Nobody has to say, be focused on Rowan because their hearts are filled with love for Rowan. See, that, that's the application. If you want to be focused on Jesus, the reality is you've got to get to understand the love that he has for you which cultivates the love that you have for him, which will, it'll be reflex. It'll be second nature for you to be focused on him if you get that the God who is beyond you and before you 
who had every right to ignore you, didn't do that. He came. These guys, he challenged their categories so bad they wanted to kill him. And he could have, boom, almighty Jesus, boom, 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 they're gone. All my enemies are defeated. What does he do? He goes to the cross. He slips away and he keeps at it day after day after day until he lets them nail him on a cross. And while he's there, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, that's the kind of Jesus I want to be focused on. He's powerful. He's gentle. And, and his whole heart is to bring me and you into his family. It's a process. It's unsettling this journey. It's letting go of who we think he is and who we want him to be to let him be who he is. But as you do that, if you begin to get a glimpse of who God is, there's no telling you to focus on Jesus. It's like telling you to breathe. You're going to do it because... Look at who he is. Why would I not want to be focused on him? See, we believe everyone needs to take one step closer to Jesus. We believe that that will renew lives and that will transform a community by the power of the gospel. And we believe that when you can get a glimpse of God who wants to do that right here in us, in hope, that being focused on Jesus is just something that comes naturally out of that. Christ demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When you start to get that, I won't have to tell you to focus on Jesus. Let's pray. God, we want to see you. We want application in our lives. We want to be different what we usually don't want is the unsettling and the exposure that, 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 that's a part of that process. But maybe we can just boldly ask for you to do that, to, to unsettle us, to expose us, to do it gently and in a way that you know we can handle. Because, God, we want to see you for who you are. We want to make room for your word in our lives in all places, in our thinking, in our politics, in our way we spend our money, in the way we relate to people on the street, in the way we live in our families. We want your word to have space in our lives and we want to be shaped by it. God, we, we want to be blown away by who you are and your love and grace for us. Make that what we see. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we close.